Amen. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 12 for the reading of Scripture. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 22 through 39. I invite you to respond uh, as indicated following the passage. Listen now as I read, read these words from the book that we love. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and sit under these words, and I recognize that as we come this morning, we do come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come in here, and we are filled with Christmas cheer. Uh, others of us are here, and uh, this is a very difficult season this is a season with disappointment, with darkness, with sadness, with heaviness. Lord, I recognize that some of us come in here filled with faith and hope and trust in you and longing to know you more, and others of us are here and we're not sure if you're real and if you are, if you're good. Lord, I pray, therefore, whatever place we find ourselves in today, uh, whether we are here uh, filled with happiness or dealing with depression, whether we are here... Uh, in a state of, of much blessing or in a state of great suffering, whether we are here with faith or with doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Open our eyes, I pray. Reveal to us how you are at work in the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, this Sir, uh, last Sunday of Advent, as we look forward to uh, Christmas Eve this weekend and then Christmas following as well, uh, we are continuing our break from the Revelation Sermon Series. 
Uh, a congregation can only handle the end of the world so much. Sometimes you need a break. And so I felt like, you know, probably the second most important holiday in the Christian calendar would be apropos time for a little bit of a break from Revelation. So we're happy to be doing that. Uh, this passage is uh, perhaps a familiar one to you. It's one that I found uh, significant richness in this time, of, uh, this time around as I'm considering it. And the question that I'm asking uh, overall in this sermon is a little bit more broad than Christmas, although I think Christmas gives us some instruction in this area, and that is, how, how do you walk with God over a long period of time? What does that look like, walking with God over a long period of time? It's a question that's come across my desk recently um, as I've had some, con- some pastoral conversations, and uh, the conversations go a little bit like this, right? person says to me, you know... I don't really pray anymore because I prayed for a little while and nothing happened. And so now I don't really do that. I, I seek what I want elsewhere. I don't, I don't really go to God in prayers. I, I, as you might imagine, you might be surprised to know that I often encourage prayer. Um, you know, occasionally I'll get some honest folks with me and they'll say, you know, I don't really pray anymore because I tried that and it didn't work. Right? Perhaps you've experienced that yourself. Perhaps you've talked to someone who has. Um, It's a point of great concern for me, um, as I attempted to do recently, and I want to do in this sermon, uh, if you you experience that in your own life, uh, and that's where you are today, you're in a state where you've kind of given up praying, um, and and you're in in a different place, it really never ends well. Uh, And so my heart today is to help us look at what, what what should we expect seeking to walk with God? for 10, 20, 30, 50 more years, right? What should we expect? What does it look like? And the church calendar is helpful in this regard because, you know, there's different seasons in the church calendar, and the ones that are brought up around the time of Advent I found to be particularly instructive. So what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage making some observations on uh, the men and women who are presented to us in the passage uh, and then seek to hopefully contribute to addressing this question that I'm raising just now. Uh, The main character in our passage, right, might be easy to miss, but actually the main character in our passage that really is the main character in all of the Gospels right at the beginning, of course, is none other than the Holy Spirit, right? So when you open the Gospels, when you crack open your Bible and you go to any of the Gospels, right, the Gospels are focusing on the activity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always at work, right? He was work at creation. He's always at work, but there are times in Scripture where you just, the writers just can't stop talking about him because he's at work in kind of an extraordinary way, and that is certainly the case here. If you look, for example, beginning in verse 25, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then it goes on to say, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then again in verse 27, and he came in the Spirit to the temple. And so what the author is uh, seeking to convey to us is that this particular point of time in God's history was a time characterized by an extraordinary work and movement of the Holy Spirit. 
right? And the Holy Spirit is at work in these folks who are coming here today, who are part of our passage with Simeon, Anna, and the parents of Christ, and of course, the Christ himself. And it's interesting, you might ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And lots of different answers to that, but the answer that our passage seems to suggest is that in his case, to be filled with the Holy Spirit meant that he had a deeper insight into the plans and activity of God than he would otherwise. He was able to recognize God's salvation in the midst of a busy temple scene, right? And he'll, he'll make comment on that later in the passage. He's, he, one of his comments is, you have prepared your salvation in the presence of everyone. You've been at work in the presence of everyone. Most people are missing it, but those who are in tune with the Holy Spirit, of course, they are able to see what others cannot. And that's what's, first thing that's striking about this passage is that this passage is really the product of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it is seeming to be focused predominantly in this man, Simeon. So what do we know about Simeon, right? How is Simeon an example of what it might mean to walk with God? And we don't know a lot about him. Uh, we know that he was described as righteous and devout, so God was very pleased with him, right? He was someone uh, that God singled out to uh, bring this news of his salvation to. Uh, but then it's interesting, the only other word that's used about Simeon is that he is someone who waits, right? So he says, he describes Simeon in these three different ideas, right? Righteous, devout, and waits. But he waits for something specific, right? It describes him as waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it doesn't say it as much about Simeon, but we actually get a, a kind of a, a clear picture when it talks about Anna, because Anna is a woman who's been waiting for a really long time, right? So Anna, so we don't know how long Simeon's been, you know, tuned in with God, but what the author is doing, I think, is, is pointing this out in the comments about Anna, where it says, you know, here's, here's Anna. She's very advanced in years. She was only married for seven years, right? Probably at a very young age. After seven years, she becomes a widow, and she devotes herself uh, into the prayers and fasting at the, and worshiping at the temple, and so she is someone who's waiting. And what I want to point out for you this morning, uh, because I think it's actually essential if you're going to walk with God, you have to understand that as God is describing for us this picture of what it looks like to walk with him, one of the words that comes up that is absolutely significant in the passage, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, what does it say? It says they'll wait, right? That their life is a life of waiting, and not waiting in general, and not waiting saying, God, I really, want, you know, I really want this dynamic in my life to change, or I want this situation in my family to change, or I want this career, or I want this with my body, right? Not, those are all good things to pray and to wait for, but it says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? That his, that his hope is bound up into the activity of God, right? There's, there's an alignment of his longings with the activity of God. Do you see that? It's what happens, by the way, when the Holy Spirit comes on a person. The Holy Spirit gives insight into the activity of God and then actually aligns the heart with uh, where history is going. So that's the first thing that, that I want to notice with you. And I want to encourage you and to, you know, ask you this question. How, are you described as someone who's waiting I don't want, you know, you're all waiting in some way for, you know, in some way in your life, you either are 
all waiting now or you will enter a season of that. And it was actually my comments to this person you know, who was telling me about not really praying. I said, you know, you have to understand that sometimes we pray for several years. Sometimes we pray for, for several decades. This is actually by design. Right? This is what we see in the scriptures. We don't see predominantly, you know, Elijah asks for rain and it rains, right? Like we see that God has called us to walk with him in a place of waiting in such a way that our longings become aligned with his plans. And I would ask you, is that happening with you? As we think about what it is that we're seeing in this passage and learning in this point of time, the question that, that arises to my life is, Darren, is that happening Right? Are you longing for the activity of God? Or are you finding yourself longing for all kinds of other things? Are you waiting with patience? Or have you given up because the waiting is too hard? So that's the first thing we notice is this man, Simeon. And the, the wonderful message of Christmas, by the way, of course, uh, is that Christmas is, the Christmas kind of cadence in the uh, Christian calendar really highlights the, the discipline of waiting, but it highlights something else, which is that waiting does come to an end, right? Sometimes, in the case of Anna, it, it took a little while, right? It took a little while. And Simeon, you know, he was saying, look, I have been ready to die, right? I've been like, I have a do not resuscitate. I am ready at any time, you know, pull the plug, you know, call call the time of death, I'm ready just as long as I can see God's salvation. And the message of this passage, of course, is highlighting the waiting of Simeon, but more than that, it highlights God's fulfillment. And friends, that is, um, you know, that is really the key to a prayer life that can sustain a multi-decade prayer, right? Like if, you know, and I wonder how you're even thinking about this right now. You're thinking about having to ask God for something over multiple decades, right? Those of you who, perhaps you haven't even been a Christian for a decade, right? If you're sitting here thinking like, well, how am I going to sustain that? One of the answers from this passage is that because God will eventually fulfill all good things, right? That is the message of this passage. God will ultimately bring his salvation. However, though, as we'll see in just a second, he will do it in ways that surprise you. He will do it in ways that surprise you. Um, there is some discussion, by the way, as to where they were, uh, the, the, you know, where specifically in the temple because of various kind of cultural dynamics. My sense of it is, is that they were quite likely in the court of the Gentiles, right? Which makes it interesting that Simeon says, he says, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to the people of Israel. So they were probably in uh, the court of the Gentiles, which is where I think Simeon is saying, you're actually doing something in the presence of all, but they're not, most people are not uh, keyed in onto what's going on. And that highlights a second part of what it means and looks like to walk with God that's really highlighted in this passage. Right, so there's this dynamic of, of waiting on God having your, your heart aligned with his purposes. That's the first part of it. Second part of it is, is that God's ways often surprise. God's salvation and his ways often surprise. I think even Simeon himself, I, I suspect, was surprised. I mean, here's a man waiting his whole life 
to see the consolation of Israel, to see Israel consoled from all of the suffering that she went through. And he finally lays eyes on the Messiah himself in this infant state. He lays eyes on him as a little boy. And what's the first thing that he says? Right? What's the first thing that he says as he looks at the Christ child? Oh boy, we're going to hurt. This, this child is going to cause a lot of pain. Right? Not what you expect. He, he lays eyes on this cute little kid probably. Right? Maybe he wasn't cute. I don't know. All the kids in here are cute. So that's what I think of. And if they weren't, I wouldn't tell you. But they all are. But he lays his eyes on this child. And his first, his first comment is, my goodness, there is going to be a lot of pain. There is going to be a lot of hurt. There's going to be a lot of division. Right? And it's interesting. You know, I, I've thought about this for a while, and I want to even tell you that because I love you, I read some kind of weird Catholic commentaries um, because they really get into this. Didn't find it super helpful. Um, but there's all kinds of Catholic tradition over this, this you know, words to Mary. Um, there's quite a bit of discussion in, in my non-Catholic commentary that I was looking at. But I just, you know, I want just to walk through it together with you because it's interesting. Here's mom and dad presenting the child, you know, as a part of their religious custom. Here's this prophecy going on, and it's going to be salvation. It's going to be consolation. And then Simeon looks at Mary. He looks at her. I mean, Joseph is kind of like a bystander. He looks at her, and he's like, I need you to know that your child is going to be responsible for the rise and fall of many in Israel, Right? And then I also need you to know that because of this child, and, and, and I think a more accurate translation is, a javelin will puncture your heart. Right? A javelin will puncture your heart, what will go deep into your soul. Right? And that he will, his calling is as a sign that is opposed. Right? So... You know, you have to allow the full weight of that to rest on you. And again, there's all kinds of interesting, weird tradition as to what's going on. Some tradition says Mary was a martyr. We really don't have any reason to think that. Some traditions say that, you know, she didn't really embrace the message of Christianity. I don't really think we have reason to believe that. Um, my sense of it is, and I've looked at the various options presented in my commentary, my sense of it is, is that I think it's a, it's a prophecy of you know, what a mother would go through watching her own son suffer, right? That, that's where I, that I think is probably the most likely explanation, but you can disagree with me on that, and you can, you can read the, the very interesting Catholic commentaries and decide what you want to do with that. Um, but, but nonetheless, whatever it is, I just want to point out for you that for, for this woman to walk with God, right, for her, she's a young, she's really a young kid, for her to walk with God, she's had all of these experiences with angels and with this pregnancy, immaculately, and, and all this stuff going on. You know, the child is born. They take him to the temple. They're really looking forward to what's going on. This is the salvation of God. And by the way, you are going to be more devastated than you could ever possibly imagine because of what God has appointed him to do. That's the message to Mary. You are going to be more devastated than you can possibly imagine because of God's appointment. And that word really stuck out to me a little bit. I don't know if it, if it has to you. Verse 34, he says, this child is appointed. 
Right? God has decided that this child's mission in life will be to overthrow the power structure of that day, right? That's how I at least read it. Right? Those, who are in power, those who are in power will fall. Those who aren't will rise, right? That Jesus' his activity on earth will result in a complete overthrow of, of the system of that day, of positions of that day. And of course, as we read on in the Gospels, we will see that particularly those who occupy places of power, those are always the ones who despise him the most, right? The people who are the poor, the outcasts, they are the ones that run to him. But the ones who are comfortable in power, in control, uh, wielding influence, those are the ones who will ultimately uh, seek his execution. And friends, I want to tell you, this is a pastoral point that uh, I do want to lay before you that I think is essential to maintaining a, a multi-decade life of prayer, a multi-decade season of waiting. How do you do that? Well, one answer is you have to make peace with the reality that to walk with God is going to involve sometimes devastation. You have to understand that, and then you have to move forward believing that God's activity Right, that his activity, that he knows what he's doing. And I think that Mary, you know, as Mary is faced with this, we don't really, again, have a whole lot of data on it. We don't have any indication that she was like, I'm just taking this kid far away from Israel as I can. You know, we're going to Egypt, <laughs> right? I don't think that she tried to raise him somewhere else or to, to rescue him from this prophecy. Uh, she submitted to it. You know, and as I talk to folks who are in this place of saying, you know, I've given up praying because I prayed and it, like sometimes it got worse or I prayed and nothing happened, right? Part of the word of Christ to you this morning, to me this morning, is to follow Christ sometimes means having, you know, a prophet like Simeon say, you know, you're going to be devastated. I'm going to take a javelin, you know, this, this idea of the javelin, the javelin's going to pierce through your own soul, even as it would pierce through the side of the Christ himself. So that's the second thing, right? The first thing is that uh, God calls us to learn to wait. The second thing is, is that the activity of God sometimes often involves devastation, right? It sometimes and often involves devastation. It also involves division, right? That's something we're experiencing, of course, in our country. People are becoming more divided than ever. Um, and that's something that actually resulted initially from uh, the activity of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that when Christ comes to earth, the result is, according to this passage, is division and opposition. The scripture will later use this language of being a stone of stumbling, which I think is what this sign that is to be opposed is referring to, that Christ's calling would be to be set up as a rock of stumbling, something that people will ultimately trip on. So, uh, we're going to get a little bit more cheery, I promise, towards the end. <laughs> but that's the, initial, that's the initial thing, right? That we're called to wait. Sometimes waiting includes devastation and division. Um, but what is that all for? And it's interesting. In verse 35, he actually gives us the pur purpose statement. He says, you know, all of this is going to happen, even into your own soul. Why? So that thoughts from many hearts can be revealed. And friends, ultimately, that is so close to the activity of God and the salvation of, of people, including us all. In order for God to save you, one of the things that he does is he goes deep into your heart. 
and he brings out of it the thoughts that you have tried to keep hidden as best as you can. Right? He penetrates all the way as far as he can go, and he brings things to the surface. Sometimes things you don't want to come to the surface, right? Why is he doing that? Well, the answer is uh, he is bringing out the real you. Ultimately, the scriptures will go on to say, so that he can cover you with his grace, so that he can shower you with his forgiveness, right? If you don't, uh, if you don't have the, the real, true, uh, secret, hearts of the thought, secret thoughts of the heart revealed, you will only know Christ superficially. But the activity of Christ, the activity of salvation, is always more than superficial. There's a, a verse in Hebrews uh, that says this. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of uh, soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think that as the author wrote this about Scripture, I think his mind was really focused in on the activity of Christ. And, you know, as we read in the Gospels, we see that Christ is always doing this, right? When he's with a group of people, there's, there's a, uh, a time when folks are criticizing him in their heads, and he looks at them, and he's like, why are you criticizing me? And he just reads their thoughts, and he brings their thoughts out into the open. He's always taking the secret things, and he's bringing them out into the open. And, in fact, uh, there's prophecy that says, Everything that's hidden will be shouted from the rooftops, that he will be uh, doing this work of revelation. And um, the point here is that what God is saying is embrace this work, right? Do what we've been talking about in our liturgy where to say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there would be any troubling way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, Right, if you want to align your heart with the purposes of God this year, if you want to be able to wait well, if you want to be able to walk with God through devastation, one of the ways, the only way that you can survive that is if you begin to invite his searchlight into your heart. If you begin to actually change the way you pray, please pray for the salvation of that family member. Please continue to bring those folks to the Lord. Please continue to pray for a breakthrough in your parenting. Please continue to pray for the right career, for the right calling. All of those things, I want to pray with you. I want to see you pray. But could you also add, Lord, search me and know me? Can you search me this morning? Can you see what's going on in the depths of my heart? Can you align my heart with the purposes of God? And you see, I think that the answer to some of the questions you have, and even um, I think to Mary herself, as she's pondering all of these words in her heart, right? The answer, of course, is we don't, we're not sure exactly what was going on with this javelin piercing her heart, right? There's lots of debate about that, but there's one thing we are sure on, and that is that there was a literal sword that would pierce the side of Christ, and, you know, in my reflection and meditation on it, I think what's going on with Mary is she had to have an insight into what the Son of God would experience. Friends, and that really is, I think, one of the main reasons that we have devastation on this world is what God is doing in devastation. If he does that in you, what he is doing is he is giving you insight into the mystery of Jesus Christ, right? 
Paul says, I want to know the, the power of the resurrection of Christ. I want to know his sufferings even. Right? There is a sense in which those who have who've walked with God, who've gotten a taste of the things of God, where they say, I want to know more about these things. Because there is something so profound in experiencing the mystery of the person of Jesus Christ, where, where Paul says, I even pray for this to a degree. I'm okay with this. And I think that Mary ultimately, I think in, in whatever form she experienced it in, whatever, wherever you land on that, and whatever form you experiencing these things in, the ultimate resolution is, can only be found in God is working a good thing in our lives. Sometimes includes devastation. But every year that the locusts have eaten will be restored. Every tear that has come from your eyes will be wiped away. That he is working a plan that can be trusted. And what we remember at Christmas is that the waiting does come to an end. The waiting comes to an end, and he fulfills his promises to us. And I hope, therefore, that perhaps for the first time, perhaps you might, try, perhaps you might restart your prayer life this Christmas in wrestling with the Lord. I hope that you will. Let me pray for you. Father God, we do praise you. And Lord Jesus, we do adore you. And we thank you for uh, taking the spear for us. We thank you for the work uh, that you came to do, the work that you were appointed to do. And I pray, O oh Christ, that you uh, would be magnified in our church. Lord, that as we have to walk through different seasons, Lord, some with devastation, some with blessing, I pray, O oh God, that you would lead us to walk and to wait well, that you would align our hearts with your purposes, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as he was poured out upon Simeon and Anna, that we would know you, that we would know you deeply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.